0: fellow students if you would open to acts 9 we're going to lord willing finish acts 9 next week we'll get into acts 10 the conversion of cornelius acts 9 we're going to start in verse 32 just the last 10 verses of acts 9 if you'd be so kind here's the context as you know jesus has gone back to heaven and sent the holy spirit to fill and empower those who followed jesus his disciples with supernatural power in order to reach the world with the gospel so in acts 2 we see the birth of the church the coming of the holy spirit we see the gospel being preached we see miracles occurring we see people being saved by the thousands we also see the growth of opposition persecution shows up stephen is martyred paul is converted so there's a lot going on in the first few chapters here the apostle peter is the leader of the Disciples. He was the leader back in the Gospels. He had hoof and mouth disease at that point in time. God has cured that through the coming of the Holy Spirit. And now when he speaks, he speaks with clarity and authority. And today we're going to see the continued growth of the Apostle Peter as he's involved in three different miracles in the next couple chapters. So today we'll look at miracle number one is where God uses Peter to heal a man, the body of a man called Aeneas the second miracle god uses peter to raise a saint from the dead called dorcas or tabitha and the greatest miracle of all is going to show up in chapter 10 next week where god uses peter to bring the gospel to a gentile centurion named cornelius now for all of that to happen god has to help peter teach peter to lay aside his spiritual prejudice and we all have spiritual prejudice so we're going to talk about that and what the lord did in peter's life for that to occur so understand that all of this chapter the last 10 verses are motivated by a god who is compassionate a god who cares a god who is involved in the lives of his servants and the lives of the law so let's jump in chapter 9 verse 32 now it came about that as peter was traveling throughout all these parts he came also down to the saints who lived at lydda last week we said what we said Any time in scripture you see and it came about now it came to pass and it came to pass that's the fingerprints of the holy spirit so anytime you see in your scripture and it came to pass that's not an accident that's by design by divine design and they reveal the sovereignty of god because nothing just comes to pass does it everything occurs by design and god either makes it happen or god allows it to happen by his good pleasure Uh, joy had mentioned something to us yesterday that johnny uh, Erickson Tata had said, God allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. And I thought, wow, sometimes he allows me to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, even though my behavior, I guarantee you, sometimes he hates. So he does that because he is a compassionate, good God, and God's goal is our eternal Good pleasure, not just necessarily our present pleasure. So anytime you see the word and it came to pass, think God's sovereignty. So understand that Peter now is going to be fulfilling Ephesians 2:10, and you and I should be as well. Ephesians 2:10 says, "We, that you and I are His workmanship, Jesus Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, right? prepared beforehand is not random prepared beforehand is not by accident so god had all these ministry these miracles already preset in place for peter to do now the application for you and i is real simple within the next 168 hours between now and next sunday next 167 hours god has good works already preset for you to do they're already there He's got the people waiting. He's got the divine appointments. He's got the phone calls. He's got who you're going to run into. He's got it all arranged. The only question is, will you be awake when it shows up? Right? Not afterwards, because many, many times the Lord has these divine appointments. And I figured out about 9 p.m. Oh, yeah. I, I, I missed it. I'm sorry, Lord. Of course, the Lord has backup plans with Brad, because Brad needs backup plans. You know, sometimes I'm asleep and he's got somebody else lined up, right? So be awake when you see the Lord moving. He's got work for you to do this week. It's already preset. And when you see that, say yes. So thus far in Acts, we look at the life of Peter and we see Peter almost exclusively in public roles, very public ministry. We see him preaching to big crowds. We see him healing. We see him defending the faith in front of the Sanhedrin. We see him um, working with large groups of people. This week, we're gonna see him in a very personal ministry context, very much one-to-one, very private ministry. So it's it's, it's interesting that Peter has a very robust ministry with individuals as well as groups. So you see him here and Luke records that as Peter was traveling through these parts. What do we know about the, the, the apostle Peter? Peter was a man of action, right? Peter probably wouldn't be good at meditation. Peter's probably not one that's going to contemplate long and hard about stuff before he takes action, right? Peter's going to engage mouth and then turn on brain sometime within the next 30 minutes. That's what Peter does. Peter's a doer. Peter's more of a doer than a thinker. Peter probably doesn't sit still in one place very long. It says he was traveling throughout these parts. Now, I don't know. Scripture doesn't say whether Peter had ADD, but every time you see Peter in Scripture, (laughs) he's doing what? He's moving, right? He's doing something. He's taking action. He's getting on with it. So we see Peter now traveling throughout these, in a ministry position, traveling throughout the countryside. So we've already seen thousands of people come to faith in Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem. And as a result of the persecution, many of them have left the city of Jerusalem and gone elsewhere, taking the gospel with them. Peter and John have just finished going up north. Rob's going to put a map up going up north to Samaria to minister to the Samaritans who the Jews hated, right? But God had the gospel for the Samaritans as well. Peter's come back to Jerusalem, and now he's evangelizing in this particular area. And I think he's probably following what Jesus was described as doing in Acts 10, 38. It says, Jesus went about doing good. That could be be a pretty good epitaph, right? If they put that on your gravestone. Teddy went around doing good pretty good epitaph right so that's what Jesus did so Peter is doing what Jesus did he's going around and he's doing good he's following in the master's footsteps now Jesus had commissioned Peter by the sea of Galilee after he rose from the dead Peter how many times did he tell him to feed my sheep three times feed my sheep And he told him, when you have been restored, Peter, I want you to strengthen the brethren. That's what he's doing. You're seeing Peter now fulfilling the ministry for which he was saved, fulfilling the calling for which God gave him. Now, Rob's going to take a look at the map, show the map up here. I want you to notice where Lydda is. Lydda is almost at the coast. It's the modern city of Lod, L-O-D. It's the site of Israel's international airport. So if you've ever flown in and out of Israel, you land at the international airport, which is about 10 miles inland from the sea. That's the Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv's major airport. It's about uh, 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. So if you go north and west, you're going to run into Lida, Medr-de-Lad. It's really the intersection of two major uh, highways. Back in the day, way back in the day, there was a major road that ran... <laughs> I don't know. You know What the guy does, I can't see. That's probably good. I think I'm gonna have to control it from here. Um, there's a road that ran from Egypt to Syria, the, the Via Maris, which is the, uh, the, the, the road along the sea, the way of the sea. That was one of the highways. And then you had a road running from Jerusalem to Joppa. And this little town was at that intersection, right? It was originally the land of Benjamin. So if you wanna know where Lydda was, it was originally in the allocation of the tribe of Benjamin, a little town known for pottery wine figs and linen of all things largely a jewish population so god today is going to use peter to perform two miracles in this neighborhood one he's going to heal heal a man that's paralyzed and two he's going to raise a dead man back to life interesting that these two conditions are pictures of lost people right they're pictures of sinful people sinners are spiritually paralyzed people right Spiritually paralyzed people who cannot take a step toward God unless God moves toward them first. Understand? You get that? So spiritual paralysis we're seeing here in a picture of Aeneas with his physical paralysis. Dorcas, or Tabitha, was dead. And sinners without Christ are dead in trespasses and sin, according to the Romans. So just like Jesus can physically heal the sick and raise the dead... Jesus can give everlasting life to the spiritually ill and the spiritually dead, which we all were prior to Christ. So these two characters are physical illustrations of a spiritual reality. Does that make sense? You with me? Nod like you you mean it, right? Okay, more caffeine. Take more caffeine before you come to class. Verse 33, Peter's in that neighborhood, and there he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden, Eight years before he was paralyzed. You know, one of the things that happens as we age <clears throat> is that we're more aware of our physical infirmities. Yes? yes. I know you talk about them a lot, right? <laughs> so I, I assume we're more aware of them. I think the other thing that happens when we age, we're not just aware, more aware of our physical infirmities, we're more aware of the brokenness of the human condition when I was 17 my parents were highly aware of a lot of ill people and sick people and disobedient people and broken people and now that I'm their age it seems like everywhere you go you see brokenness and Aeneas is a picture of human brokenness right he meets a man named Aeneas who's been paralyzed for eight years so when I look at being bedridden for eight years you know what I realize I have no problems I have, in perspective, in perspective. I'm not saying we don't have problems. I'm saying, relatively speaking, Johnny has been in a wheelchair for 49 years? 49 years. Perspective. Just put it in perspective. No one that I know of will appreciate the ability to walk like Johnny will when she gets to heaven. Because it's been 49 years, Right? So some texts say that Aeneas has palsy. At any rate, he has been bedridden, unable to get up for eight years, and he might have had to beg for a living. It doesn't say he's a disciple. It says he's a certain man, so we don't know whether he's a follower of Jesus or not. Aeneas is a Greek name, so we, we can assume he's a Hellenistic Jew, probably speaks Greek as well. Verse 34, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, arise and make your bed. That's called the direct approach, right? And what happened? What's the last half of the verse say? He arose, immediately. he arose immediately. Doesn't say it took six months. He immediately arose. Here's the principle. God uses people who rely on his power and not their own abilities. God uses people who rely on his power and not their own abilities. See, in this healing, who's taking the initiative? God's taking all the initiative. Aeneas didn't go looking for Peter. Aeneas wasn't even asking to be healed. Aeneas probably did not know Peter was in town. Jesus cared about Aeneas' suffering and sent Peter to him even before he asked to be healed. You know, the truth of it is we all have suffering. We all have pain. We all have brokenness. You know who knows about that? You know the old song, No One Understands Like Jesus he's a friend beyond compare the lyrics to that are really true you can talk to Jesus about stuff that you can't talk to anybody else about because no one understands like Jesus so Jesus knew about Aeneas' suffering had compassion on him and sent Peter then to heal him the Holy Spirit was the one who directed Peter to Aeneas and under the power of Jesus Christ Peter healed him now Dr. S. Lewis Johnson writes this I thought was very interesting i want you to notice how peter addresses aeneas he doesn't say now aeneas as head of the church by the power delegated to me as the vicar of christ on earth i say arise and make your bed It's not what he said did he peter said what jesus christ heals you peter didn't have anything to do with it now peter's already been empowered by the holy spirit to be the instrument of god performing miracles We say, well, Peter performed the miracle. Peter didn't perform any such miracle. No one performs miracles except who? Any ministry that you do is done through you, not because of you, right? Who does the ministry? God, the Holy Spirit. The only ability that you and I have to bring to God is our availability. That's it. We don't have any power to do ministry. We don't have any power to raise the dead. We don't have any power to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the one who works through us. All we can say is, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm available. And Peter was available. And so God had used him to heal miracles in the past. He and John healed the lame man outside the temple. They were used to bring down judgment on Ananias and Sapphira. Peter had such a healing ministry in Jerusalem that people would actually bring people, sick people, in cots in the street, put them in the street. So when he walked by, his shadow would fall on him because they thought that was going to bring healing to him. So he had quite a history of healing. It would have been very easy for Peter to do what? Believe that the ability to heal was his. I've got this healing ability. It's mine. Peter practiced the principles that's essential for us today. Lift up Jesus. Always lift up Jesus. Always give Jesus the credit right not yourself say amen. amen this miracle when you look at it is very much like when jesus healed what the paralytic in capernaum remember he's teaching in capernaum four guys bring their friend on a pallet and they can't get in so what do they do they climb on the roof they start tearing the roof open because it's made out of thatch and things like that and they let the guy down and jesus obviously forgives his sins And says, so that you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, rise, take up your bed and walk. What's he do? Rise, takes up his bed and walk, right? And instead of being thrilled over the miracle, the Pharisees, the legal eagles, are furious that he did it on the Sabbath day. Wow, right? That's that's majoring in the minor, shall we say. So the proof here is in the pudding. Both the paralytic at Capernaum and Aeneas did what? Immediately got up, picked up their bed, and walked now if you want living demonstrable empirical evidence that the power of god is at work and the gospel should be heard you got it right here verse 35 tells you the impact and all who lived at lydda and sharon saw him and they turned to the lord now sharon was the name of the plain. there's a very fertile agricultural plain that really runs all the way along the mediterranean sea from joppa all the way up to mount carmel it's about 50 miles long 10 miles wide so Aeneas becomes a walking miracle he had been bedridden for eight years I suspect everybody in those parts knew that Aeneas had been bedridden probably happened sometime as an adult I don't know if he was begging or not but everybody knew him and when they saw him walking the power of that miracle validated the authority of Jesus Christ and caused people to believe in him They were convinced that Jesus was alive and they were convinced that they should trust him for salvation. So this takes place in Lydda, a little town about 10 miles inland. Verse 35, 36. Now in Joppa, now I'm moving over to the coast now. This is a coastal city. There was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. I've always liked the name Tabitha more than Dorcas. Just saying. I just, you know, maybe it's because when you're younger, you're called a dork. I just, I just, you know, whatever. But this woman's character is just staggering. You could put this on your tombstone and they might be telling lies about you, but this was really her. This woman was, take your pen out, abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she did when she felt like it. Yeah, yeah. Which she did how often? Always, she continually did. Now, if you, you, you all may be good occasionally, she was good pretty regularly, right? Here's the principle God uses people who give to others because they love Jesus. God uses people who give to others, and the giving to others is motivated by the love of Jesus. Now, Joppa is a modern suburb of Tel Aviv, it's called Yafa. Yafo, Y-A-F-O, Y-F-O is right outside uh, Tel Aviv. It's really connected with the city. It's the ancient seaport of Jerusalem. Joppa is right on the Mediterranean Sea. It's interesting that Joppa was the place where Jonah went, right? Remember, God had called Jonah. He said, Jonah, go to the Ninevites. Go to the Gentiles and tell them that I'm gonna judge them if they don't repent. Jonah goes to Joppa. Jonah goes to Joppa to obey or disobey? disobey? Disobey. He's gonna head for Tarshish. Tarshish is Gibraltar. That's two thousand miles to the west. He's supposed to go five hundred miles to the east to Nineveh, and he says, "I'm going two thousand miles to the west of Gibraltar." How'd that work out for him? As Dr. Phil says, he ran into a hurricane sent by God specifically for him. You do not want to disobey your way into a hurricane. <laughs> not good. Not good. Right? So. I tell people, sometimes bad things happen just because we live in a broken, sinful, fallen world. And if you've got bad things happening, it may just be because we live in a broken world has nothing to do with you. You can be obeying God, walking with Jesus, loving him with all your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and bad things happen. You know something? That's the sovereignty of God. You surrender to that, submit to that, and say, Lord, I'm trusting you. Show me what you want me to do. Jonah couldn't say that. Jonah ran into the hurricane specifically because he was disobedient. And God sent the hurricane to turn him around. Right? And I guess it worked. But he spent three days losing all his hair because the stomach acid of a whale or a fish will take all your hair off and bleach your skin white. Not a good way to go to Nineveh and get a sunburn. Anyway, Acts 10, the city of Joppa, is the exact same place where next chapter, Peter gets a call to go to the Gentiles. So Jonah goes to Joppa to disobey. Peter is in Joppa and he gets a call to go to Caesarea, talk to Cornelius, and he obeys. Both of them are to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. So same place, same call, different response, different obviously results. So Tabitha in Hebrew and Dorcas in Greek both translate into, what's it say? Gazelle. Gazelle. Right, which is a very, very beautiful animal uh, when they prance and they dance. So she's a Jewish follower of Jesus. Uh, she's a disciple, which means she's a learner. A disciple means a learner. If you're a disciple, you know what God expects from you? He expects you to keep learning, right? Keep learning, which means you need to have your Bible open regularly, right? That's how he's going to teach you. So he expects us to be a learner, And her character here is amazing. The Holy Spirit describes her. This is the Holy Spirit's epitaph for her. He says, she's abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. So we know she's a very industrious woman. She continually performs. She's motivated by love. And her love literally overflows into acts of kindness. By the way, people know what's in your heart by watching what you do watching what you do your your deeds always speak louder than words i i thought when i was doing this i thought you know something she must have been born in missouri Missouri's the what show me state state. you could look at her deeds and go i know she's a woman of character by what i watch what she does and the deeds are pretty evident at that point in time so her deeds were eloquent eloquent verse 37 came about at that time underline and it came about what does "and it came about mean the sovereignty of god and it came about means the fingerprints of the holy spirit the sovereignty of god and it came about at that time that she fell sick and died and you and i are always going to say when someone dies why and why now that's human nature it's okay there's nothing wrong with asking that All we know is it was God's time for her to go home. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. So she was very useful, very beloved, very productive, loved Jesus, now she had died. And only God, of course, knows our timeline on planet Earth, how long it's going to be. We have everything to do with how productive we are. Don't waste the time you have because you don't know how much you got left, right? And we want to be serving Jesus because we love him. Now, she dies, and amazing, just coincidentally, Peter's nearby. How about that? wonder who made that arrangement, right? Fingerprints of the Holy Spirit again. Another example of divine timing. Ordinarily, in a hot climate, you bury a body as soon as practically possible, often within 24 hours, certainly as fast as you can because decay sets in and it's not good and the body is ritually unclean so it's not ritually kosher to to use that word in the jewish culture to have a body around because a a dead body was unclean ritually at that point in time so in this case they washed her body in preparation for burial and they laid her, her body in an upper room while they went to look for peter many homes at that period of time had two levels the lower level is where he generally worked stored things and things like that. The upstairs is where the living quarters were. So they laid her out upstairs and they sent for Peter. And verse 38 tells you why they could do that. Since Lydda was near Joppa, right? The disciples having heard that Peter was there. So Dorcas dies, Tabitha dies, and they hear Peter's in the neck of the woods. And they think, well, let's not bury her yet. Let's go send for Peter. They sent two men to him saying, do not delay to come to us. That's a very fancy way of saying, get it in overdrive and get over here, please. Right? I mean, this was, you know, put the pedal to the metal. So Lydda on the map, if you're looking behind you, is about 11 miles or so southeast of Joppa. So remember, there was no horse, there was no car, there was no Uber. You walked. You walked right you walked you called uber and uber was your sandals and you put your sandals on and you walked period and i guess if you had plantar fasciitis oh i guess you walked slower but you still walked there was no other way to get there these people were poor there were no horses there were no mules unless you had wealth so it's walking right so you walk about 11 miles how long does it take you to walk about 11 miles have you ever walked 11 miles i mean in a week or two you all put your fitbit on right so that's start and stop these people are walking straight about three and a half to four hours most of us if you're just ambling around you can walk two and a half miles an hour without a lot of work if you're walking four miles an hour you are in gear that's hoofing it and that's on smooth surface they didn't have it and they didn't have your hot tennis shoes either they were wearing sandals so probably three hours walking time three and a half time is of the essence they got to get on with this because dorcas is decaying upstairs and it's a hot climate and so they need to move on this and they had heard of peter's ability to heal he had quite a reputation Uh, god had used him in jerusalem a lot however no apostle has yet raised anyone from the dead but jesus raised three people from the dead remember the widows from nain n-a-i-n her son raised from the dead jairus's daughter remember 12 years old and this morning we heard about and last week lazarus raised lazarus so they knew that jesus could heal from the dead but there'd been no apostle to heal that had raised from the dead yet but there was a lot of miracles so they said let's seek out a man of god let's seek out peter verse 39 and peter arose and went with them and when he had come They brought him into the upper room and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make when she was with them. Here's the principle. I didn't even like this principle, but it's really true. God uses people who adjust their schedules to serve others when God reveals a need. Write it down. Don't look at me. Write it down or you won't do it. I'm having trouble do it and I wrote it. God uses people who adjust their schedule. See, I like my schedule. I really like my schedule. I think my plans are really good plans. Downright brilliant. And the Holy Spirit turns the spotlight on and says, they're really self-centered plans, Brad, and they're not really eternal, and you just need to do it my way. It's just better, Brad, if you just submit, right? I would highly recommend that god uses people who adjust their schedule to serve others and god reveals the need here's where the theory of availability hits the reality of calendar we say well the only ability we bring to god is our availability you know what you surrender with your availability 24 7 you say god you got the right to call me at 2 in the morning you got the right to interrupt my coffee break right you got you have my calendar holy spirit you have my calendar you know, that's so easy to say. And then when he does interrupt it, <laughs> we don't go well with that. So Peter is now being presented with an urgent need. 11 miles away, a beloved disciple of Jesus has died. We have a crisis. Drop what you're doing, Peter, whatever you're doing. And Peter was a busy guy. He wasn't sitting around contemplating his navel. He was doing ministry. He was busy, right? Come immediately. Have you ever noticed that people generally don't schedule their crises at convenient times? No one calls me up and says, Brad, Wednesday morning, 10 o'clock, we're going to have a crisis. Just put it on your calendar. I'll need you then, right? It it happens. It happens, and when it happens, we need to be flexible and respond to what the Lord says. You know, I hate to tell you this because everything I say in class, the Holy Spirit holds me accountable to it. This week, I'm going to have to practice this principle. I promise you. Because i opened my big mouth and told you i'm going to have the lord's going to hold me accountable to obey it i should just kept my mouth shut (laughs) i don't have that option either folks all right now my first reaction would be if i'm peter and i'm busy i'm busy doing ministry i would go she's dead what do you expect me to do right i mean I'm, i'm just saying what would we be thinking you know There's nothing I can do. I'm sure Peter remembered that when Jesus heard Lazarus was dead, he said what? Let's hang out for a couple more days across the river. Now, if you're Peter, you're thinking, well, she's already dead. I can wait two, three days. Not a problem, right? Jesus did, right? You know? Now, Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. In this case, Tabitha's already died. I wonder, I wonder if the Holy Spirit had told Peter At that point, I'm going to use you to raise her from the dead, get over there. Or probably, probably a lot more likely, Peter just went, trusting that God was going to show him what to do when he got there. I expect that's probably true. Either way, understand that Peter models a principle of being willing to adjust your schedule to serve others when God reveals a need. Now, once Peter arrives, we hear the whole mourning process in progress. And when you've ever, if you've never been to a Jewish uh, funeral or memorial service, there is a lot of mourning. Back in the day, they hired professional mourners. And these were mostly women who were very good at wailing. And in this particular case, it really sounds like these were not professional mourners. These were her friends. These were her fellow widows that she had ministered to for years these were the recipients of all those good deeds she had been doing so you're really seeing the impact of her life on other people by their response when she's gone she had a legacy her legacy was one of love and service and faithfulness and usefulness and loving others she had the gift of sewing right she was a seamstress a very practical gift by the way i would recommend that you um Seek practical things. I mean, we sometimes, well, I'm this Greek scholar, so I don't have to get my hands dirty. Probably not, probably not, okay? I'm not saying don't study Greek, study Greek, but don't be afraid to scrub toilets either. The people that you scrub toilets for will be much more grateful than the people you teach Greek to. (laughs) Believe me, I used to be a janitor, I'm telling you if the toilets aren't clean life does not work in a grammar school yeah i did that for years so practicality is not bad she had a consecrated needle and thread she had the skills she had the gift and she used it to serve others because she loved jesus she had made tunics tunics were undergarments they were generally Uh, made out of linen uh, because linen would stay away from the body somewhat and they cooled off quickly and it was a sleeveless garment kind of like a slip generally went down about to your knees from your shoulders you wore it next to your skin that was linen Uh, undergarment tunic but she also made outerwear cloaks and things like that for the widows in the local church and the community at large so she had a tremendous ministry of giving to those in need by the way if you were a widow back here In this time frame there was no Social Security there was no Medicare there was no Medi-Cal there was no Medicaid you relied on your family and friend network it was the family friend church network that kept you body and soul together because there was no governmental program at that point in time so these widows were part of her circle part of her family her spiritual family and some of them might have been in the community and she served by sewing you can serve by sewing, right? I mean, very basic kinds of things. She consecrated that gift to Jesus Christ. And apparently, when you look at this scene, there was a lot of her clothing on display, whether they were wearing the clothing or whether they had it there, but they wanted Peter to understand that this was a godly friend who they missed terribly, very industrious, uh, very hardworking for the glory of Jesus Christ she had done all this. You know, Proverbs 31 describes a virtuous woman who sews by candlelight, And her household is always clothed in scarlet. When you read Proverbs 31, it makes me tired. Well, frankly, I don't know when this virtuous woman ever sleeps. Sounds like the Energizer bunny, or maybe she's got a really good brand of coffee that I don't know about, but I mean, she's diligent. And that's the picture of, of Tabitha. She's very industrious for the glory of Jesus Christ. And she's now gone. But what has she left behind? What has she left behind? The value of her life extends beyond her life. And here's the question. It's a good question. When you die, and you will die. You will die. Sooner than you think, probably. Although some of you may live longer than you want to. I've got clients that are in their 90s. They are so ready to go, you can't believe it. They're tired of the diapers. When you die, what will you leave behind? She's a pretty good model for us. You know what some people die when they leave behind? They leave behind a mess. A mess. I don't mean just a mess of stuff. They got a house full full of stuff. They leave a trail of broken relationships. They leave a lot of unpaid bills. They leave a lot of unfinished business. They leave a legacy of self-centeredness. You don't want to leave a legacy like that. Dorcas really left a very godly legacy. You know, ever notice how few people show up at the funeral of a self-centered person? People go, "Why show up?" I mean, I had no relationship with them. Didn't do anything for me. If people show up at your funeral and they are thanking God that now at last you are God's problem and not their problem, <laughs> Lord, I'm really glad they're with you. And not with us right you've left a legacy but it probably is not one you're gonna be real proud of right Tabitha leaves a legacy of loving that leads to very generous giving she's a giver like Jesus she was giving practically giving doing good and I, I think that's probably a very good model for us most of us don't think about legacy Because most of us don't live as if we're going to die. We don't. We live as if we're going to be here forever. Now, if I asked you to say, well, Brad, of course, of course, I know. But if someone come and said, you have 365 days till you're going to see Jesus face to face, what would change in your life? If you knew that a year from now, we were going to be standing around and remembering your life, what would you do different than what you're currently doing? And don't tell me you would do nothing different. You know, when they interview celebrities, they say, what would you do different if you could do it over? And they say, I'd do nothing different. Now, that's the definition of a fool. If you can live your whole life and learn nothing that you would do differently, you're really a fool. God has wasted the 75 years on you because you haven't learned anything. So be thinking about that. And I don't mean to be depressive, but I want you to live for eternity. Some of us may not be here 365 days from now and you're looking around and going, well, it won't be me. Maybe. Maybe it will be you. Okay? Leave a legacy that matters. Leave a legacy that honors Jesus. Leave a legacy that blesses other people. These widows are weeping, not just because of what she did, but for who she was. Verse 40. Peter sent them all out, knelt down and prayed, turned to the body. He said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now this is a parallel miracle. The healing of Aeneas was a parallel miracle for the paralytic that Jesus raised at Capernaum. Who does this remind you of? Go back one more. What was the other raising? Jairus' daughter. Remember Jairus' daughter, a little 12-year-old? She dies. Jesus comes in with Peter, James, and John. There's a huge mourning procession going on. He puts all the mourners out of the room. He tells them she's falling asleep. They laugh at him. He gets them out of the house. He says, Talitha kum, little girl, arise. Peter uses almost the exact same words. Tabitha, arise versus Talitha kum. Same thing, same Greek. So Peter is doing the exact same thing Jesus did. Jesus sent everyone out of the room before he did the miracle. Peter does the same thing. Remember, God's miracles are not parlor tricks. God's miracles are not entertainment. They're not spectacles. I find it interesting and somewhat disconcerting that many, many people that claim to be faith healers have to do it in front of large crowds. Who gets the glory? Who's exalted? Not Jesus generally not jesus jesus performed most of his miracles of of raising from the dead lazarus is very public the widow from Nain, jairus his daughter very private peter did the same thing it's interesting that peter doesn't say i command you to arise it says he prays he's acknowledging that it's god's power not his power that's going to raise her from the dead that takes us back to our first principle god uses people that rely on his power not their power So Peter uses the exact same words Jesus did with one phrase different. There are those who claim that what releases God's power to do miracles is your faith. But dead people can't exercise faith. Okay? Miracles occur because Jesus Christ decides that he is going to move in ways outside of nature in order to demonstrate his lordship now jesus restored tabitha to life through peter when she sees peter she sits up i am reasonably certain that seeing peter's face was very disappointing (laughs) right she was in heaven she's in jesus presence she's singing here in the heavenly choir she's sitting through a bible study with moses instead of brad and then she sent back to earth right i mean if i was her and an angel tapped me on the shoulder and said brad the lord has more work for you to do on earth and you're gonna have to leave now and go back to earth i think i'd probably say can't you get marty to go back (laughs) i just got here yesterday Right? She's been there probably 36 hours, max. There is nothing to compare with heavenly bliss. However, I'm reasonably persuaded, and this is just speculation on my part, that probably the Holy Spirit wipes the memory clean. It's interesting that you never hear the widow's son, you never hear Lazarus, and you never hear Tabitha or Jairus' daughter say, I went to heaven and here's what it's like. You would think that that might be a really hot thing to do. Why wouldn't they write their memoirs and say, I went to heaven and here's what I experienced. Because we know that Jesus healed them, right? Raised them from the dead. That would be pretty authentic witness, never happens. Don't know why. It's just interesting. By the way, she wasn't resurrected. She didn't get a glorified body like Jesus did. Resurrection body. She was resuscitated. She was restored. She was raised from the dead, but she was raised into her old body. Bummer. That would be a real bummer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Serious bummer to be in heaven. And then you come back to this carcass that's going to die again. Wow. That's not something I'd much rather stay there. But once again, the sovereignty of God determines your destiny, right? His point was, Dorcas had lived a wonderfully productive spiritual life. God was going to bring her to heaven and send her back to earth for his glory. Not necessarily for our comfort. I'm sure she would rather have stayed. right? Coming back here would be suffering compared to there. It reminds us that we only serve at the pleasure of the king, right? If, Peter wants, if God wants Peter to go to Joppa, Peter goes to Joppa, right? If God wants Tabitha in heaven, she goes. If God wants Tabitha back on earth, what? She goes, right? Here's the question. Are you available for God to move you wherever he chooses? You have one of two choices. You can either be like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 8, who said what? Here am I, send me. I'm willing, or it can be like Jonah, who runs the opposite direction, and God will chase you down with a storm to correct you. And you know, Jonah didn't have much of a choice. Either you go to Nineveh or you see God face to face. but Jonah had a much better story. Yeah. By yeah. He, he did have a story, but it was a story of disobedience, unfortunately. The good news is, Jonah did write the book, so you presume there's probably some repentance there on the other side. I mean, Joni eventually went to Nineveh, right? But it was a pretty hard story to swallow, no pen intended, so. or be swallowed, sorry. Verse, three, verse 41, and he gave her his hand, raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Wonder what they were doing when Peter was in the room. Ever thought about that? I, I suspect they were praying, right? Would you assume they were praying? i can imagine they were praying you know it's interesting that god still does miracles today he does miracles every day he just doesn't delegate you to be the one to perform them you see miracles here every week how many of you pray during the week Uh, at least once during the week right okay does god answer prayer do you see god answer prayer Every answer to prayer is the divine miracle of the Holy Spirit who listens and who takes action. Now, he doesn't always answer it the way you want it because he knows what you need, not what you want. And if he gave you what you want, you would be sorry. So he gives you what you need because he knows what we need, right? So God doesn't do miracles by delegating people, but God does answer prayer on a regular basis. Verse 42, and it became known all over Joppa. And here's the point. Many believed in the Lord. Many believed in the... The whole point of miracles, of God doing miracles, is to authenticate God's word so that people will believe and be saved. God never does miracles just to impress or just to, you know, entertain. Miracles are done for the purpose of substantiating God's word so that people will place their faith in the God of the Bible. And these two miracles, healing a paralytic, no human help, and raising from the dead completely impossible are nowhere near the greatest miracle of all not even close the greatest miracle of all is to renew a dead spirit it's not to raise a dead body you can raise a dead body and dorcas is going to die again right but when jesus christ comes into a life and renews a dead spirit he gives you what everlasting life never to be lost never to die again right physically die no spiritual death far greater miracle to impart eternal life than to prolong physical life here's the amazing thing that god wants to use us in the miracle of regeneration he wants you to take the gospel to people who need it so that he can produce the greatest miracle ever which is to give them eternal life just amazing that he would trust us with that verse 43 and it came about that he stayed many days in Joppa with a certain tanner named simon here's the principle God uses people who are learning to lay aside their spiritual prejudice. Our spiritual prejudice today, today. Now, Peter had some spiritual prejudice. I'll get to that in a second, but we have it today. And our spiritual prejudice today usually include a list of behaviors and people that we view as unacceptable because they are not like us, right? They don't behave like us. They don't smell like us, right? Right? We have trouble believing that jesus actually died for those people and their sins i mean jesus can't save someone like that and we all have the list i don't know what's on your list i'll give you some it could be the 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 day of the moment transgender folk it could be lgbt it could be smokers drinkers druggies porn addicts bikers liars cheaters gluttons gossips the rich the poor The self-righteous the unrighteous the lazy the lethargic the workaholic the illegal immigrants the Republicans the Democrats the rich the famous the broken the busted the obese the bulimic the mentally ill the socially inept the rude the crude the lewd the wrong color the wrong religion we all have the list and somehow because they're not like us we're not sure that Jesus died for them We're not sure that we want to go pick up their smell and bring the gospel to them. By the way, it's not just the poor. The rich sometimes stink worse than the poor, right? Spiritually. God has no such list. Jesus Christ died and rose that anyone can repent of their sins. Anyone can be reconciled to God. God has a list in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you don't know who's on it, so you bring the gospel to everybody, amen? You just tell them about Jesus and let him worry about cleaning up their life. That's not our job. That's his job. Now, this verse records the spiritual growth of Peter. Joppa is located by the sea. Tanners, tanners are leather workers, and they take animal hides and they create leather from them. They have to work with animal carcasses, which are dead bodies, and they're very unclean and ritually defilement by the Jewish standard of the law. You couldn't touch a dead body, right? matter of fact rabbinical law stated that if you were engaged a woman could break an engagement divorce her fiance if she found out that her fiance was a tanner because he was working dead bodies tanning requires a lot of water so many times tanners were located by the sea and if you've ever been around a mountain of dead carcasses the smell is horrendous so sea breezes kind of help. so a lot of tanners were by the ocean at that point in time The smell got so bad that if you were a tanner, there were building codes that specified how close you could get to a human settlement. You had to be so far a distance away because the smell was so overpowering at that point in time. So the Mosaic law forbid contact with dead bodies and Peter was a good Jewish man, right? He obeyed the law. You're gonna see next week. He said, God, I have never eaten anything unclean. No shrimp? How can you live without shrimp, right? I mean, (laughs) shellfish was, you know. Anyway, before he met Jesus, Peter wouldn't even come close to a guy who who was in an unclean trade, let alone live with him. And here, apparently, he lived with him for some extended period of time. Same house, Simon the Tanner, right? God is showing Peter that he is completely impartial and that he wants to free his followers from their spiritual and human prejudice. See, God is preparing Peter for the next step in the transmission of the gospel of the Gentiles. Peter had already taken the gospel of the Jews in Jerusalem. He'd already gone to Samaria with John. He's now in Judea. Next week he's going where? Cornelius. Who's Cornelius? He's a centurion. He's not Jewish. He's a Gentile. He's unclean. God's going to call Peter to evangelize him. God is preparing Peter to take the gospel to a people group that Peter says they are unclean and God can't save them. That's what the Jewish people actually believed. Now, if I asked you, do you believe Jesus can save anybody? You would say, of course. And I would say, are you behaving like that? Are you taking the gospel to people who you're pretty convinced that Jesus' blood can't cover? Because their sin is really, really, really bad, right? Well, it says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from some sins, right, but not others. Is that what it says? Let's say the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, all sin. So I want you to be thinking about the people you need to be praying for. That you're pretty convinced it would take a divine miracle to save. That's the only way you got saved. People that prayed for you for, for you before you got saved couldn't believe you'd get saved either. Right? Matter of fact, I'm convinced that when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised to see some people, but there's a lot more people that are going to be surprised to see us. <laughs> you, You're here jesus only jesus only jesus that's it that's it right most of us in our heart of hearts think we're going to get to heaven because we don't behave like those people with spiritual doggy breath babe. the truth of it is only the blood of jesus gets us there all right all right let's review and then tom you can get ready if you would be so kind for prayer requests here's principle number one god uses people who rely on his power and not their own abilities. Number two, God uses people who give to others because they love Jesus. They give to others because they love Jesus. Number three, God uses people who adjust their schedule to serve others when God reveals a need. They're willing to be flexible with their schedule. Number four, when you die, what will you leave behind? You're going to leave something behind. What are you going to leave behind? right and number five god uses people who are learning to lay aside their spiritual prejudice all right next week lord willing acts 10 i love you guys now that you know do